Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Little Realms, a Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. I'm your host and game master, Candace, and I am here with... I'm Sarah, and I play Vim. The flashy and nomadic tiefling. I am Dan. I play Cyrus Sassafras, the elderly, world-weary druid. I'm Nikki. I'm playing Jarrell Goldenheel, the wide-eyed elven scholar. And I'm Adam. I'm playing Arden, the pragmatic half-elven ranger. And our characters are navigating the city of Mithrin, trying to uncover the city's secrets as well as their own. Previously... Our heroes were on the road to Mithrin, uh, a city which is full of unknowns for them. Each of our heroes have their reasons for going to this city. They had made camp at a half-finished military complex of sorts, about half a day's travel outside of Mithrin. And this military complex, unfinished, had a reputation of being haunted. Their traveling companions all had, you know, different opinions of whether this place was actually haunted or not. But as it turns out, our heroes discovered that at least during this night, the military base was indeed haunted. After our heroes talked with one of the spirits, or attacked by another spirit, they recovered a small metal box from under the floorboards that a the particular spirit, Liara, Liara's spirit, probably a halfling dressed in robes of some sort, uh, directed them to find this box. Uh, at the same time, earlier that evening, they had found a corpse of a deceased person that pretty much fit the description of this spirit that pointed them to the box. So that is where we will actually pick up with a brief scene kind of directly after that confrontation. You've just picked up the box, Jarell, I believe, and are examining it. The three of you have kind of gathered around to look at this intricate uh, this intricate box with its combination dial on the front. You're under the roofed part of this unfinished building, kind of around the corner. The rain is pattering on the roof still. There's distant rolls of thunder, but otherwise, you are to yourselves in here. So, just out of character, real quick, is that does the <laughs> box that we got? Is it like? The Da Vinci Code Cryptex, does it look like that? Where we gotta like spin letters on it to open it or? Cause Vim tried zero, one, two, three something last time. Mm-hmm. You guys tried, I think zero, one, two, three, and then like one, two, three, four. Um, and neither of those, neither of those codes worked. The box is plain metal decorative construction, but not something that would be overly showy. The edges are not sharp. They're kind of rounded and have pattern 
done into them, but the box and the body isn't gilded or anything like that. On the front are just the four scroll wheels that go from zero to nine. Well, we know where we're supposed to take it. The spirit told us that much. So I don't see a reason to stand around here trying to break open a combination box that we don't know the combination to. So I'm holding the box. Uh, I'd like to shake the box. Do I hear anything? You hear like a soft sound inside. Like something rustling or? Yes, like a like a rustling sound. I think it's just a message. Some sort of paper or documents. This seems like a lot of fuss to go through for a simple message. Well, I doubt they planned on dying. I agree that a message wouldn't make much sense, especially since who knows how long it's been here. Hmm. Well, this is all new to me. I've never encountered a ghost before. I have no idea what's normal or abnormal. I suppose Jarrell has a point. We don't necessarily plan on dying, but I do, well, I would prefer we know what's in this box before we give it to anyone. Alright. I'm going to hold out my hand to see if uh, Jarrell will give me the box. I readily hand it over. Okay. Can I tell anything about how the mechanism likely works? Like, looking closely at the combination thing, is it like each one... Is it like a normal keyhole where there are pins in the keyhole and only the key of the correct size will sort of allow the keyhole to turn? Or... There's there's no keyhole, it's just the combination. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, the combination... Looking at it, if I, for instance, got the first let number right, mm-hmm. would the latch move more, or would all of them need to be correct before the latch would move at all? And can I tell which one the first number is and which one the last number is based upon the direction the latch moves? Uh, roll investigation for me. Okay. I am not great at investigation, but let's see if it works. I rolled a 19. Okay. So not too bad. So you're holding this box and you're, you've kind of got your, your ear up to the dials as you're turning them. And the whoever made this, the lock for this lock box, did a really good job of mm-hmm. it. Because as you're turning the dials, you don't... Uh, see the lock mechanism move either way and you also can't hear like uh, clicking of the dials or anything like that to indicate what's going on beneath the mechanism but you do figure out that the the locking mechanism itself is essentially directly underneath the dial and probably built into the interior of this metal box. Okay, well, I've got nothing, so I'll hand it back to, to Jarrell. I sort of turn it over in my hands. Um, does anyone know this Margaret's Arendelle that we are mentioned? With your knowledge of history, mm-hmm. uh, would be aware that Margaret's is definitely a title, and the Arendelle family is minor 
nobility from the nation of Burge. I suppose they must retain some position of power in Mithrin. Perhaps it's for the best that we don't go digging our noses into spirit business. Our quest is simple. We need to give this to this Margrix Arendelle. We are not tasked to solve the contents of the box. At, at about this time, you hear from, like, back around the corner, you hear uh, Sergeant Landon say, uh, Hello? Are you still in there? I shoved the box in my pocket. Finn looks and notices you shoved the box and, and smiles a little <laughs> bit and her tail flicks. And then she'll look towards where Landon is coming from and say, Yes, we're just wrapping up. Did you need us for something? Uh, no, not particular. I was just wondering what the noise was. Hauntings were real. I'll leave it at that and walk out past him. (laughs) He, like, he stands aside for you, and if you're continuing walking out, uh, you see his second in command and the, the soldier... Chakota also kind of like flanking the entrance and they both give you like a an eyebrow but don't say anything. Ghosts aren't that weird. <laughs> you see Chakota's face visibly fall a little bit. Oh Chakota, I'm sorry you missed out on the ghosts. But we did find them after all. They were real? Oh, yes. Two of them. I just start rambling about ghosts. <laughs> Vim sliced one up in half. I don't mention the box, though. Okay. Um, roll, Jarell, roll me a uh, sleight of hand as you're pocketing the box. Uh, 19. So, Landon, does the ghosts were real? Yes, I think they're quite taken care of now, though. What? Were they unfriendly? Friendly? What was the nature of them? They were as complex as you or I. They had some squabble between them, but we can all sleep easy tonight knowing that it's been solved. In fact, I I think it's time for bed for all of us. Yes, it's been a long trip, and we're getting into Mithrin tomorrow. Landon, like... I walk past him. (laughs) Rubs his chin a little bit and furrows his eyebrows and says, yes, quite. I agree that we should retire. And he kind of follows you guys out as well. Everyone beds down. The the rain doesn't end until right before everyone wakes up. It's about noon. The sun is high overhead, uh, finally having burned off the clouds from the previous day. It's not a it's not a warm it's a cool day, but the breeze is finally warm for a change. And cresting the next hill, you see the city of Mithrin sprawled out before you in a great uh depression in the rolling hills. From your vantage point at the top, the walls of the city don't look tall, but they do look sturdy, except for a section that along the back of the city that was either never finished or destroyed. You can't tell from where you are. The buildings nestled inside appear to be mostly made of brick, and you can also see the peak of a clock tower 
from deep within the city. From the back of the city where there is no wall, a sea of haphazardly arranged tents spill from the hole, dotting the landscape with multicolored swatches of cloth. Beyond the final tent, you can see the edge of the Mithran mine biting into the next hillside. Um, to the south of the city walls, you also see that forest that you had heard rumors of on your way, and it spreads out towards the east. It would be like the north and east um, up higher. And as you crest this hill, head down, you see that a cobblestone road begins in the dirt once again. And what does everyone look like as you're heading down this hill into the final you know, half mile into Mithran? Power walking above everyone. <laughs> Cyrus Sassafras <laughs> takes the lead. He is jaunting at a ready pace, an old, wiry man with deeply leather-tanned skin, a great big bushy beard with hints of green moss hidden in between, a simple salmon-colored frock that's very loosely fitting. <laughs> it billows out behind you a little. It does. And just a... Uh, Sandals, backpack, no bells or whistles on this human. This 72-year-old human. Uh, Jarrell is a, a young elf of indeterminate age. Um, general <coughs> impression, uh, probably looking at them as sort of colors like honey and amber, just in terms of their coloration, the clothes they're wearing. Um, a little bit of jewelry, but not too crazy. Um, they've got a monocle in their front pocket, and they're just really excited, looking around, looking at everything. Uh, they're on the small and slight side, and uh, probably a, a little roughly dressed, just from traveling, but um, wearing uh, probably some simple tunic and, and leggings and boots. Off from off to the side of the group a little bit, Arden is walking with his uh, with his pack horse. He has long, uh, well-kept um, snow-white hair. Uh, because of the general humidity of the day, he's wearing it back, uh, braided in a, in a tight braid so that it doesn't get too unwieldy. Um, he has dark violet eyes, um, and he's actually on the, on the younger side, only... Uh, probably just under 30 years of age. Um, he's a half-elf, clearly, and no one would mistake him for a full-blooded elf or a human. Uh, he has very elven ears, but he has sort of the... Uh, not stockier, but less thin build, uh, more attributable to his human ancestry than his elven ancestry. Um, he's wearing a... Uh, dark, like, brick-red cloak that um, that covers most of his other clothes. Uh, beneath it, he's wearing general traveling gear. Uh, he has a sword and a buckler strapped to his belt. 
Um, but otherwise, is unarmed. He does have a longbow that's within arm's reach, but it is with his pack horse, not on his back, similarly to his quiver. And in the middle of the caravan, we see a somewhat strange sight amidst, you know, the military wagons and the the orc family uh, Mm -hmm. that's traveling we see a large wooden wagon that is about that's partially carved out with scenes of animals and foliage and it's being drawn by a old but well taken care of draft horse and sitting on the front of the wagon and its porch area is a tiefling woman with dark red skin that's reminiscent of a sand dune. She has dark burgundy hair that's been chopped into a somewhat fashionable but really just practical bob. It looks like she could maybe get to it and get a new haircut just about now. (laughs) Coming out of her horns uh, or coming out of her head are the telltale signs of a tiefling. She has tall white horns that slope backwards. They've been sanded smooth and painted white. Uh, They resemble the tusks of an elephant. She's wearing splint mail that looks exceptionally beat up. It is gouged, and in places it is dented. It looks like either she was handed this down, or she hasn't taken good care of it, or it's seen a lot of battle. It's kind of hard to tell. And off to the side is a tail that flicks out beside her. Like Jarrell said, um, their color palette is honey and amber, uh, Ben's color palette would be dark reds and golds. And like yeah. And uh, Vim is just sitting contented, resting, and with uh, eager eyes taking in the view of Mithrin. Mm-hmm. Cyrus has uh, jogged to the front. You're actually out in front of the military platoon, and which Landon has formed up. And they have, they, most of their traveling have not been marching in any sort of formation. But this morning, Landon got everyone up, made everyone dress to the nines, unpack the, the nice leather tunics, the nice shirts that have not been worn up to this point. And he is marching the platoon down, uh, this hillside as you're approaching Mithrin. Kind of behind him is uh, Arden, Vim, and Jarell. And then behind you guys is the are the two half-orcs that have also been with you guys for the duration of your travels, which have been close to a month at this point. Um, the, the two orc the two half-orcs, Abram and Mickey, are sitting on the uh, the bench of their covered wagon, being drawn by two very large but very tame oxen. Uh, as you come to know, they're very, very tame oxen. Uh, and in the back of their covered wagon are uh, three teenaged half-orcs. Uh, also half-orcs. As you approach the gates... Uh, there are two guards posted atop the wall. 
that glance between you guys that are approaching the city and then whatever is beyond the gate. Um, the gates are also open. There doesn't seem to be any attempt at like stopping travelers coming in or going out. Uh, the As you pass, I guess Cyrus passes under the gate first. Cyrus is keeping cadence with uh, the platoon, by the way, whether they not like it or not. He's even going to start <laughs> joining in on the chairs. He's like, look to your right. What do you see? A whole bunch of legs looking at me. One, two, one, two. Here we go. <laughs> is Cyrus, like, right up with Sergeant Landon or, like, back with the, the soldiers? Well, Cyrus has been scolded by Sergeant Landon. He's to knock it off. He's trying to make a good impression. So I am far enough at the front. Usually, uh, the... The guy leading everything would stay in the middle, so I am at a decent distance away from Landon that he can't come scold me. <laughs> You're at, like, the back corner of the platoon? No, where I'm, there's enough. I, I thought I was at the front. I was, like, okay, not technically a part of it. I'm, people could tell that I'm not really a part of it, but if they're not looking too carefully, they might think I am, because I am marching in the same step, and I am... I am also cheering off cadences, which is really confusing to the people at the front of Landon's platoon because they're hearing two different cadences. <laughs> Nine to the front, six to the rear. That's the way we do it here. <laughs> there are a few soldiers that are trying very hard not to smile, and a few of them are failing in that endeavor. Um, and the gates of the city are also basic, are large enough for everyone to kind of enter and see what's going on at the same time. As you are passing under the gate, off to the side are two men in military uniform, uh, and they have two more soldiers in military uniform behind them, sort of flanking them, standing at attention. Uh, one of the military dressed men is short, he's got a weathered complexion, he's a human, uh, and he's got, like, brown hair, full beard, and the type of squinty eyes where it looks like he's perpetually looking into the sun, but <laughs> he's not, really. And then standing next to him is a much taller elf who has almost, uh, his blonde hair is almost buzz cut. It's very, very short on top and almost completely bald on the sides and two things kind of happen at the same time as you guys are passing through the gates captain landon halts the platoon and turns and walks towards these two military men at the same time uh abram and mickey kind of angle their covered wagon around the platoon and start into the city proper or into this little plaza that's right beyond the gate and roll initiative no roll, roll initiative Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, what are you doing to the orcs <laughs> um, and so the, the plaza right beyond this little entry area it's very obviously an entry area there are official looking buildings that line to the left and right 
of you guys. They're all brick and squat. There's one building that's long and the foundation is brick, but the bulk of the building is wooden. The And after this cobblestone plaza, the cobblestones become three main roads that you see. One heads basically straight in front of you, and the other two curve, follow follow along the official-looking buildings, and then all three eventually disappear into the, the distance of the city. And across the way on in this plaza, it's not very far across the way, it's like maybe 40-ish feet. At the same time, Landon is walking over to talk to these two military individuals. There is a group of six-ish other individuals dressed in rags, uh, beat up, breeches, their tunics are stained, and they're holding these like crude clay bowls, and they begin shuffling over to the Abram and Mickey, their covered wagon. And you guys are kind of sandwiched in between these two things that are happening. So what do you guys want to do? Girl's a little nervous and shifts closer to Vin's wagon. (laughs) Maybe it would be a good time for everyone to divide their gold and their silver into multiple bags in case you get pickpocketed. (laughs) <laughs> Probably a good idea, actually. Um, yes. As the wagons start to all peel off in different directions, Vim takes a moment to decide which way to go and starts turning the horse to follow Mickey and Abram, the mm-hmm. half-orcs, down their direction. Mm-hmm. And she leans over to Jarrell, who's coming closer, and says, Why don't we make sure that our friends from the road make it safely to wherever they're going. Oh, what a good thought, then. <laughs> I just, like, happily follow along with them. I'm like, yep, we're going this way now. Okay. And then Vim will look to uh, Cyrus and Origin and kind of make that non-go. If you'd like to join, please. Love to have you. One, two, three. I wish I had more pockets. Mm. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm coming. Perhaps we should go check in at the inn. We had talked about staying together if you still want to do that. Well, I think we are going to make sure they go where they're going. We're going to safeguard the uh, Abram and Mickey before we go to the inn. So you're all kind of following uh, the Abram and Mickey's covered wagon? Yeah, past all the, the beggars and the people who start to f- surround them. Yeah, so there's not uh, there's not a whole lot of beggars there. Um, there are also normal citizens milling about the plaza. Uh, aside from the the two men that uh, Sergeant Landon is talking to, there's a number of uniformed individuals going you know, here and there, looking like they're running errands, carrying crates, carrying missives, things like that. There are also other citizens dressed in civilian clothing coming in and out of the buildings. Some of them are carrying like parcels of food uh, because it is lunchtime-ish. Uh, so you pull do you pull the Vargo kind of up alongside 
the wagon? I think following behind just a little bit. I'd imagine the streets start to get a little bit narrow. Following behind. Okay. Uh, roll purse. Is anyone like particularly trying to listen to the beggars and them interact? Yeah, okay. almost definitely not. I think Jarell's okay. not so much trying to listen as that they're very aware just because they're a little nervous. Yeah. So I'm maybe more not looking, an environment they're used to. I, I'm taking note of, like, I'm looking to see if there are any inns nearby that look decent uh, as we're going along. That's more what Arden is interested in that at this moment is finding a place where he will be sleeping tonight. Okay. So, you see... The, as you kind of pull up behind the covered wagon, you see the the cluster of beggars come up to the covered wagon, presumably say something to uh, Abram. Mickey turns around and talks to the teenagers inside of the covered wagon. Abram says something back to the the beggars, and they seem sated and go off in their various directions trying to accost the other citizens milling about. At this point, Abram notices that you guys have kind of pulled up behind his wagon, and he turns around and says, Are you guys looking for a place to stay in this town? We're as new here as you, Abram. We just wanted to stick together and make sure us newbies got where we needed to in one piece. Vicky laughs a little bit, and Abram does as well and says, Well, you're in luck because Mickey and I, we run one of the inns here, and we would love to have you guys stay in at it. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely, Abram and Mickey. Then I guess we're a lot newer to town than you are. You know, it doesn't come up on the road very much, and we don't like to, you know, advertise that. <laughs> It just doesn't come up in conversation very often, so we don't really blame you. Well, I I assume you'll be giving me the friendly discount? Oh, of course. <laughs> Perfect. We, we appreciated having you guys along on the caravan. It's always nice to have, you know, actual adventurers that aren't beholden to anyone's pockets along on our journeys. So, are you just kind of like following them? straight in? Well, I mean, I certainly want to look around at, like, what we're passing by um, to get sort of a lay of the area. So, to get to Market Square, which is the the hub of this city, as you would call it, we just take this road in the front here straight down, and then our inn is a little bit further north and east off of Market Square. That road that goes to the west loops around and goes straight into the tent city, uh, which are refugees from the war. Most of them there are the newest recent additions to the city. And then that road to the the east goes past more of the, 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 the richer parts of the city, the houses that were built by the old money and the original settlers of this city. And then if you keep following that road, it goes straight to the the old university buildings. You can also get to that from this main street. And by this point, you've gotten, you know, a mile-ish down the street. 
the houses go from the official brick buildings to small residential cottages. And then as you continue on, the the road eventually opens up in front of you. The market square, as Abram calls it, uh, is a large cobblestone square lined on all sides with various storefronts. Uh, there are several stands selling food from the harvest, a butcher's shop, a cobbler, and most of the other amenities you'd expect in a city of this side size. Off to your left is a several-story brick building with a like with a porch and a slightly domed ornament on the top level and that there place across the way abram says that is the blacksmith of the town his daddy was blacksmith before him and now he's the blacksmith and it's that's a building that is impossible to miss it takes up most of the block there's a plume of smoke coming up from it and there's a sign out front on this engraved on this huge rock that says Rockwell's Remarkable Rocks. <laughs> okay. Um, there's only one blacksmith in town? There are... Size. There, there are others, but Rockwell's is the, the main blacksmith, and essentially all the blacksmiths here were trained by him or his family or his uh, apprentices. I was not expecting so much business here. This is much better than the letters the Bogberg would describe. Then you, you picked a good town to set up shop in. Well, that is the hope. I'm, uh... This definitely raises my spirits a bit. Truly, the, uh... The reports I had heard of Mithrin were much grimmer than this market square makes it seem. Uh, Everett, roll insight real quick. 13. 16. Abram says, Well, we we keep plugging along and trying to do what we can, uh, but things do start to fall through the cracks eventually. And he, like, head nods over to the center of Market Square, in which you can see there's a, uh, like, a ring of stone and then a tiered structure that was clearly a running fountain at some point but now each of the tiers have just stagnant water in each of them and a fine layer of algae and living plants growing across this the the, the top of the the water and the structure itself is kind of cracked and listing to the side just a little bit. Bim raises an eyebrow at the side of the fountain and then looks back to Abram and says, mm, So, don't be fooled and don't get caught up in ourselves. Good to know. Good to know. And Cyrus starts patting his pockets to make sure that all of his coins are still there. So... The you head off, you head on across the square. Uh, you see a sign for Journey's End, the tavern, the inn and tavern, um, like right past the blacksmith's shop. 
So you peel off on a road. It's not a straight road. You enter an area, a neighborhood, where the roads turn and curve a little bit. They're still basically on a grid, but it's more... It's not a straight shot. Uh, you follow that for just a little ways, and Journey's End comes into view as you round one of these bends. It's a three-story building. The first floor is brick, and the other two are wood built on top of that. It's a L-shaped building where you can see the backside jutting out from behind a shorter front, and in the, the empty part of the L is a fairly well-kept stables. That's a nice place you've got here. This is all yours. Well, it wasn't always all ours. We, we bought it out a number of years ago from the original builders and proprietors. As they said, he explains as you're walking up. Above the front door is a sign that is painted with the picture of a gravel path along grass fields that slowly disappears into the distance with the words Journey's End kind of arced across the top. He says, yeah, if you'll just follow me, follow me and Sad, uh, we'll get you all set up. So who takes care <laughs> of it while you're not in town? Uh, we have other people working for us. Uh, very nice, middle-aged man named Yelshin will get y'all set up. Uh, and Vim, if you want to park the 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 Vargo, the Vargo of yours over by the stables or in the uh, alleyway, that should be safe enough for it. That sounds perfect. Thank you. Anytime. And he, Abram gets off of the covered wagon while Mickey continues it around the back and Abram leads you guys inside through the, the the swinging double door. And the common room inside of Journey's End is small, but it doesn't feel cramped. Along two walls are built-in benches with accompanying tables and chairs. A third wall holds a, a low stage that is currently unoccupied, but that's it's the structure's intention. So, uh, the, I've actually mm? been wondering this for a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. What is a Vargo? So, after after Abram points out a spot in the stables where she can park her big wagon, you see them start to peel off with her Vardo, which is a large wagon slash carriage type structure. It's about 10 feet long and about 6 feet wide and it sits on these large and beautiful spindly wooden wheels. It seems to have done really well from traveling. It looks like it was actually made to be mobile and travel and you generally see tieflings living in these um, large family structures where most of them live out of these types of um, strange and beautiful carriages. And it serves as both how Vim travels, but it's also her home. Um, some of y'all have seen peaks inside of the Varda when she'll open and close the door, but no one's ever been allowed or invited inside. 
But from the small peaks, you've seen what's probably a bed in the back, um, a little desk that folds out of the wall, and what's probably a wardrobe slash storage shelf sort of deal, where everything's locked away so it doesn't shift around on the road. Okay. For people's mind castle, you said it was kind of like Howl's moving castle. Oh mind. gosh, on the... Yeah, so like on the inside, all the glimpses seen of the inside are like bright and gold, and there's doodads and bullshit just everywhere. And it's, it's very much this kind of, not quite a hoarder's nest, but there's a lot of stuff in there. Which also makes it a little hard to parse out what's quite going on, but you know that's where she sleeps, that's where she spends a lot of the time that she's not on the road and walking with y'all. When... Um, Abram and Mickey seem like they're not paying attention to us. Cyrus waits for the opportunity to, like, you know, make eye contact and nod to the rest of the group. And I figure he's going to walk over to where Vim is still tying up the Vardo. And hopefully Jarrell is there. And Arden is like, should we be asking people about this, Margrix? Or is this something we should keep to ourselves? Well, if she's nobility if she's important then it shouldn't be too hard to find her when we need to so we can ask Abram and Nikki yes I suppose we can trust them they are giving me the friendly discount yes I think I would prefer to well I'd prefer to know it's in the box but I don't want to hold on to it for too much longer than we have to it might be a good thing that you don't know what's in the box what if it was really shiny and you would want to keep it for yourself? Lose the temptation if you don't know what's in it. I admit, I am very curious. But I'd also rather not get caught up in any local politics, which seems like the likely thing. Agreed. Politics will age you faster than drinking and smoking. <laughs> yeah, so you, after you get the horses and the, the Vardo uh, set up, you can head on into the 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 common room of the inn and behind the the bar that's across the way from you abram's not in the common room anymore he's gone off and done something but as you walk into the inn a drow is standing behind the bar he's dressed in a long tunic with a loose hood wearing an apron over all of it and he's flipping through a book as you walk in, but when he hears the doors open, he, you know, looks over or looks up at you guys and says, Why, hello there. Are you the the guest that Abram told me about? Um, a quick question first. How yes. common are drow? They are they are more common the farther north you go. And Mithrin is pretty far north. They're definitely more uncommon than humans, half-elves. Uh, elves, But they're not unheard of. And generally, if a, a drow is on the surface, it is because they actively don't want to be in the underground civilization anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cyrus is very, his eyes are are alert and peaked, and he's got a grin bigger than usual on his face. And he walks up, he's like, wow, you are the second drow I have ever seen. 
The first one I saw, his name was Dalel. Do you know him? Terrell is, like, a little horrified. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I've never heard that name mm. before. Uh, what a shame. You two would be great friends. He, he says, my, my name is Zelchin, and Abram was just in here to uh, let me know that you guys would be, that you four would be needing rooms. Thank you so much, Yelchin. We appreciate your hospitality. He does the, like, the customer service nod um, and takes a pen from the shelf behind him, flips to an empty page of, or like the, the half-filled, the next empty part of the book, and it says, if you could uh, write your uh, identification of some sort down, I can get you room keys. How many would you need? Will you be needing? Just uh, one for me. Trell wants to room alone. <laughs> Abram said that uh, you may stay until you've gotten yourself settled in the city. Three of charge. Trell goes ahead and starts writing their name down. Looks like it will be four rooms then. I follow Trell. Does Vim want a room, or is she staying in the Vardo? Yeah, so Vim will, Vim will look to Cyrus and say, uh, th- Thank you, friend, but I'll, I'll stay in my Vardo parked just outside. I, I believe that means I'll be paying you for whatever the cost is of, of the parking spot, I suppose. <laughs> um, just having a safe place to keep my home is, is what I need, but I, I will definitely be making use of your common rooms and your hospitality. He says that very well. Uh, Again, no charge. Abram says that uh, we are doing this pro bono for you, uh, for being such wonderful traveling companions on Lonzi Road, uh, which we very much appreciate. Uh, And so after you guys write your names in the book, he turns it back, writes down room numbers next to it, and then goes uh, behind... Like there's a there's a door covered by a curtain behind the the bar, and he ducks in there real quick and comes back with three uh, metal keys and hands them to with little tags on them that have numbers and hands them uh, over to you. Thank you. And he says, uh, "You're very welcome. Uh, feel free to have a seat in our common room. We have drinks. We have food." Uh, just let me know if you need anything. Thank you so much. We will. We've been on the road a while. Do you have baths? Yes. <laughs> we do not. We have a basin, but there is a bathhouse down the street on your left. A basin will suffice. All right. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to just go ahead and stash my stuff in my room, get it all set up, and Drill's going to change into something a little more dignified. This is normal. They're normal scholarly robes, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you're kind of going about getting set up, um, water is brought up in a basin to each of your rooms by one of the teenagers that uh, was in the covered wagon. You could kind of intuit that like these, these teenagers were coming to work at the end. Wait, are, are they not their kids? You never asked, so you don't know. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) We were part of a human trafficking operation. (laughs) No. No, it's not that. 
Hey, thank you very much for the water, boys. And here's a tip. And I hand them two copper. They they say, thank you. And kind of like happily jog out of the room. And you turn around, let us know if you need anything else. I'm going to make sure that almost everything that I have that's actually important... I'm going to be keeping on my person. So while I'm washing mm-hmm. up and the like, even though it's midday, I'm going to uh, put on my chain shirt, make sure that, you know, it can't really be seen mm-hmm. um, underneath the uh, cloak that I'm wearing and the like. Uh, but I'm only leaving basically like my longbow, other things in this room. Slightly paranoid of big city living, Cyrus shuffles to his room and after. 10 minutes of self-dialogue debate, he takes off his cooking pots and his spare clothes, he takes off his bedroll, really just like the stuff he could easily replace, and he hides it underneath the bed. <laughs> okay. Then he comes jaunting down, I'm ready. I'll be honest, I'm not gonna think that hard about logistics. Um, I go ahead and watch <laughs> Once Jarell sort of cleaned up, they're going to go ahead and head back down to the common room. Um, I go ahead and approach a Yelchin, and I ask after, um, is there, um, you know when you send bird, like, send posts by birds, like, mm-hmm. yeah. carrier pigeons or whatever? All right, first, so I ask him, well, is there anything like that around here? Is there, is there a, a carrier? Is, yes. Okay, so I ask for directions to that. You'll, you'll be able to send messages out of the message office at Z University, which oh. is if you head out here, go back to Market Square, and then kind of head north and east on any of those roads, you'll eventually run into the university. And in their library, they have an office that, uh, they're a post office, but also a message office which is the equivalent of a telegraph office. It just uses the message spell. Thank you ever so much, Yelchin. I was... Of course. Uh, that was actually going to be my next question with directions to the university. Um, do you know, I got a letter recently from them in response to some queries, uh, saying that a, a Marin, without any title, uh, attached, I'm afraid, was, was in charge of activities there. Do you know anything about the directorship of the university, or... How that's run? I am unfortunately not in the know too much on that. The I do know that when the university ceased official functioning a number of years back, that Marin took over as more of an organizer than an administrator. But that is my, the extent of my knowledge. Is Marin a local lord or a scholar? There, the the ruler of Mithrin is Margrex, the title, Victor Arendale. He oh. lives over. He lives over in the administrative district of the city, back towards the front gate. He was sent by the the crown about a year ago to take over administrative duties of the upkeep of this city. Uh, But he is not directly involved with the university, aside from making sure that it does not crumble to the ground. 
So Marin is just an administrator assigned by the Marvets to... He's, he's not assigned at all. Marin, as far as I know, took it upon himself to make better the university. And through either lack of manpower or lack of wanting, uh, Arendelle has left him to his devices. How very interesting. What is the political situation like here? Is it fairly organized, or it seems like some things are left pretty loose? Ilchen like takes a takes a deep breath and kind of looks at the corner of the room and is about to respond when the double doors open again behind you, and he does the sort of cus- the the customer service thing where you, like, make eye contact with the person that you've been talking with and then look to the new people that have walked in the door. Uh, Jarrell sort of uh, nods gracefully and is like, thank you ever so much for your help, Yelchin. Um, I may be by to chat a little later if you have time. That would be lovely. And the the two people that have just walked in walk up to the the bar and are you staying at the bar or are you going to like no, take a I, seat? No, I sort of retreat and I uh, sit somewhere and pull out some paper and a pen. Okay, and start. And you're just waiting down in the common room Yeah. for everyone else. Uh, so, But I'm also kind of listening a little bit to what's going on, just in case. Okay, so roll me a perception. And are you trying to be stealthy about it? Um... I'm, I'm like, writing a letter and half-listening. Okay. Eleven. Eleven? Okay. So, you're... Whatever you're writing, you're pretty focused on it, so you're catching, like, the general gist of how the conversation is going, and Yelchin says something in a tone of voice that kind of... that indicates to you that he knows these two people, and then they clearly ask him to, like, go get the manager type thing, because Yelchin says something polite back and then heads out, or heads um, through that curtain behind the bar. Um, And it's at this point that the other party members kind of filter in. Can I sort of glance over, just get a gist of who these people are, like age, gender, species, that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. So, one of them is a very large female half-orc that's got, like, half of the head shaved and the other half of the hair longer uh, about down to her shoulder. She's wearing really well-worn leather armor and a longsword on her waist. And then beside her is a very, very short and slight half-elf who's got very dark black hair. It looks, um like the kind of black hair that you get after someone has dyed their hair black. It's that kind of sheen to it. Uh, And they have their black hair spiked into a faux hawk um, and are wearing really colorful heavy makeup in like reds and yellows. And they're also wearing robes that are matching color palette reds and yellows and kind of loose and flowing. And as they're waiting, the half orc kind of like has her arms crossed with the you know the sing- the one hip shoved out, and is kind of like 
looking off into nowhere in particular. Um, the person beside her is kind of standing eagerly on both feet, kind of looking around the looking around the common room, just seeing if there's anything like interesting going on. Uh, besides you, there's a few other patrons that are sitting and eating a noon meal or drinking, um, but they're interested in their own food and look like they are normal city folk that are dressed plainly on break from whatever work they were doing that day. As Jarell's sitting and writing, Finn is outside making sure that her Vardo's set up. She disappears inside for a moment and then comes out with a couple heavy locks and she proceeds to go around the cart and actually locks down the wheels, basically putting um, like kind of like boots on them so mm-hmm. that if someone were to try to like hitch the wagon to something and drive it away with a horse, it the, the locks would catch and stutter so it, it wouldn't go anymore. Mm-hmm. And then we also see her like basically put a lock on the front door as well. It's something she hadn't been doing on the road, but now that they're in the city, um, she feels it's necessary. And then just like Arden did with her horse, she Un- unhitches her horse and starts to bring him towards the stable and at this moment she tries to flag down whichever one of the half-orc kiddos is running around mm-hmm. you you flag down uh, one of them it is Jubal Jubal uh, yeah. hey um, so she'll she'll see him across the stable wave him over her hands Jubal come here I have a I have a special request to make of you says, okay, but how can All I help right. you? All right, kiddo. So, um, this is, uh, and she reaches out and pats her horse on the, on the neck and says, this is, this is sweet, honey. Um, she's, she's, she's kind of an old lady. She's strong, but, uh, uh, she needs some special attention. All right. He nods. All right. So here's, here's, here's what I'd love you to do. She reaches into her coppers, um, like a, a good chunk of them. And mm-hmm. some of them have already been cut in half or so. She hands them and says, uh, so, uh, sweet honey likes, uh, likes a carrot or an apple every day, but she likes sharing with folks. So if you could every day go get a treat for her, but make sure you get one for yourself to share. That'd be great. Oh, <laughs> Jubal like holds out his hands and takes the, the money like very carefully and says uh th- thank you i will yes i will i will do exactly as you say um roll oral insight real quick 12 he is very happy to be doing this <laughs> he says you i i didn't want to say anything on on the road but i your horse is very lovely uh well i uh i'd love for you two to become friends he like he nods really eagerly uh, and says, "I will, I will go do that right now." Wonderful, uh, sweet honey loves carrots, but whatever you think she'll like, and whatever you'll like, go for it. And then she'll she'll muss him on on the head a little bit, but since he's yep. like a half work, she actually like, reaches directly <laughs> forward. <laughs> uh, and then she'll head inside to find um, Jarell. 
out of the corner of your eye, your eye, you see Jubal like scuttle, like excitedly skip off, and you enter the common room. Uh, standing at the bar, you see the the half orc woman and the the half elf standing there waiting. As you're walking in and taking your seat next to Jarell, um, you see Abram enter back into the the common room. He walks actually around the bar to meet these two. Um, and Gelchin like pokes his head back through the curtain, but then closes it and retreats to somewhere in the back room. I, I don't know. I sort of greet greet them idly and am I just sitting in a chair or a bench or what's the you know, if it, if it's something where I need to make room, I sort of scoop so there's room. Draw let us take down a like a smaller table near a window where it's like plenty of light and acknowledge Vim. Yeah. Alright. So as you as Vim sits down and you guys are waiting for the other two, how much attention are you paying to Abram talking to these two people? Still maybe half. half. I'm kind of paying okay. attention to what's going on in the room, but I'm mostly focused on what I'm doing. Okay, roll is dropping. Okay, so both of you roll perception for me. And are you being stealthy about it? Me? I got a six. Eighteen. Vim is doing the thing she will typically do where she's sitting and adjusting the buckles on her armor, kind of resituating it so it's more comfortable and is listening idly. Um, she gets a six. Okay. And Jarell got a Jarell got it. Jarell must have just finished a sentence um, and is trying to decide what to write next and looking for inspiration, I guess, and got an 18. (laughs) So Jarell just finishes the sentence and does the the creative thing where you like look up and stare into the middle distance and focus on whatever happens to be there. And whatever happens to be there is this conversation. Then you start adjusting your, your buckles kind of nearby and you see the big half orc like give you a side eye but doesn't really pay too much attention to you as the they're having this exchange with abram um at about halfway through this conversation uh cyrus and arden kind of enter maybe they met on the second floor and came down together or something like that oh did i not hear anything they said then no you did i'm getting to that (laughs) yeah so abram is saying to these two uh how can we help you we barely been here or barely been back an hour and the half orc is the one to reply the half elf beside her seems to have actually tuned into the conversation for the first time and the half-orc is saying, Sorry for the inconvenience. Uh, boss wanted us to send this over. And she reaches to her belt pouch um, and unties something from it. And then, like, holds it out to Abram in that way that's like, You better take whatever I'm handing you. And so Abram reaches out takes it, undoes the drawstring on it, and looks in, looks back up and says uh and like looks back up to her but doesn't say anything yet. 
the half-orc continues. Kind of with the little sigh to it. It's like, boss heard that you and Mickey had three new charges and he wanted to help out. And Abram looks back to her and says, this is, this is more than last time. Uh, I mean, we'll try to pay you back. She cuts him off. If you can't, that's fine. Boss likes you and Mickey. So there you go. And she, having completed her part of the transaction, like turns and starts walking out of the building. The the half elf kind of stands around for a second longer, looks to her, looks back to Abram, looks to her, looks back to Abram, and then like raises a hand, wiggles fingers in, uh, saying goodbye. It's like toodles, and starts flitting out behind the the half orc. And it's at this point that Cyrus and Arden walk down the stairs and kind of see hear and see the tail end like hear voices and the tail end not specifics but hear the voices of what just happened or what just transpired okay i don't know if there's really anything i can do about it i will go and sit down near the others for the time being like Mm -hmm. i'm going to get a look at the half elf and it was an elf and a half orc or half elf and half orc that just it was it was a half elf and a half orc yeah i'll get a good look at them keep you know burn them into my memory Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i'm just make making a beeline towards the group and i'm like all right we are all all here let's pitter patter let's get out of it well is there somewhere specific you wanted to go I mean, I was speaking briefly with Yelchin, the friend that we were thinking of visiting. Uh, he gave me directions if we were to go, if we still wish to go see them. I figured we would let that thing in your pants do the thinking for us, and we would follow where it goes. What? Jarrell just gives you just so, like, <laughs> you've probably never seen them, like, real upset before, but they just give you the, 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 the flattest look, like... No. <laughs> I'm talking about the box. <laughs> and a, a few minutes after these two individuals leave, um, Yelchin does come back and he and Abram talk for a few minutes and then Abram goes into the back again and Yelchin's back at the bar. How much daylight do we have left today? It's, it's only about two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Well, I have some errands to run, but if we wanted to go visit our friend right now, we could. Let's do it. I mean, we can't half-ass a quest. We must complete it. Right. We have to whole-ass the quest. I. I... <laughs> uh, plus, you said you don't want to keep it on you longer than necessary and don't want to get mixed up, so might as well Agreed. take care of things. Shall we? Mm-hmm. I stash my, my, my letter, my half-written letter away and Mm-hmm. So you're headed to the, the Arendelle estate? Yes. Is yes. what we decided? Or, or okay. I mean, if they're in charge of the town, wouldn't they probably... Do they look over it from their estate, or do they go to a government office like the ones that we saw when we came in? Um, you, you didn't ask specifically, um, given that Yelchin gave you directions to a house and not an oh. office... 
you kind of assume that it's done from the house and not the office, uh, which is, it's not weird. It's is a it, little weird. I was about to say, is it quite traditional? <laughs> it's, it's a little weird, especially since you did see what looked to be a government building in the market square. As we're kind of walking, I, I sort of casually commented, I had a little chat with Yelchin. It does seem like several things that are usually more formulaically handled in other other cities may be a little more casual. Yes, I think this ties with what Abram hinting at earlier when he mentioned the fountain. Though, to be honest, I'm just happy there seems to be any government or rule or trade here at all. The, I mean, everything we were told before coming up here was grim, or at least what I heard. Do we see anything weird on the way? Uh, roll perception. 22. 12 overall. 15. 21. 21. Okay. So, as you're to get to the Arendale estate following Yelchin's directions. There might have been a quicker way, but you just don't know the city well enough. You backtrack all the way through Market Square, back out into the neighborhood, back to the the front gates, and around the western path to kind of the richer neighborhoods. The richer neighborhood. And as you're kind of walking the tour of the city again. Jarell and Vim notice the two individuals that were in Journey's End stopping at a couple other businesses around Market Square and then they head off in a westerly direction towards the the, the refugee area. Some kind of non-traditional financial system, it seems. Or protective services. I'm shy. Do you know those people? No. Never been here before. I hope mm-hmm. they're not following us, but we can try to keep tabs on them later. Um, otherwise, the the trip to the Arendale Estate is fairly uneventful. The you get the sense that as from like the density of people as you're walking you get the sense that the city was initially built to hold more people than live here right now uh, because the main thoroughfare has been clearly built for like three wagons wide and there's just not that many people to fill up the space so you're seeing people going about their day and they look busy and they are doing things but there's just not that many anymore so you head on to the Arendale estate it is the only the the Arendale estate is a two-story rectangular building it's got a fairly sizable yard out front um the gate is closed, uh, and there are two people in city guard uniforms. Um, and by the city guard uniform, I mean the coalition military uniform. 
which is just a it's a leather jerkin over a white shirt and on the collar the like stand up collar of the leather is a symbol that denotes rank and as a person goes higher in rank the leather jerkin gets fancier and as you are lower it becomes more basic uh, and these two guards are the the basic kind of basic <laughs> your your basic model guard mm-hmm. basic no nonsense Basic, got yoga pants and a blonde ponytail. And And they're both holding pumpkin frappuccinos. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm imagining the other definition of basic here. (laughs) It is fall, so now's, you know, kind of the right season. You know, Starbucks has gotten their. I will say, as an aside, I quite like pumpkin pumpkin spice lattes, so mm-hmm. I can't really Yeah, I, do oh, I had one this morning before we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, but I have to always check and make sure their pumpkin spice doesn't use milk of some sort. Mm-hmm. Or the rest of the ingredients aren't milk. Milky. Mm-hmm. Get a pumpkin um, spice soy latte, so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I gosh, assume- that's so good. I assume the richer area of Mithrin has plenty of yield Starbucks. Like for every oh. cobbler, there's a yield Starbucks. Yield <laughs> it's Canada now. There's a yield Starbucks somewhere in the city. You mm-hmm. have to find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you're approaching the gates, you see one of the guards' posture actually kind of like perks up. And as you get closer, you see that it's actually Chakota who's up there. Oh, and no. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, before you're even, like, within shouting distance, he's you can see that he's, like, waving at you guys, and the guard that's next to him is, like, maintaining professionality and just, like, giving this green soldier the, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Look, you can see him, like, put his hands up and, like, and then face palm a little bit. <laughs> Um, I'm going as we approach. I'm going to say to him, uh, going from ga- guarding caravans and haunted, uh, in haunted old military bases to guarding haunted houses. I see. Uh, well, I hope this house isn't haunted, also <laughs> because we'll live here. But uh, you know, <laughs> well, if it is, uh, do let us know. I, I, I will. Uh, how, how can we help you? We have something of a delivery for the Margrex. For the, for the Margrex? Yeah, we could do that. Um, the other soldier just kind of looks exasperated, but opens the gate, and Chakota leads you through. There's, like, a, a paved, it's, um, yeah, it's a paved walkway up through the, the house to, uh, the front door, and as you get closer, you see more details about the house. The foundation of the house is brick, a lot like a lot of the other construction in the city. the The rest is wood, painted a warm cream color. the The windows, front door, and the roof eaves are accented of dark gray, and it's a very, very nice 
looking house, but as you get closer, you see that around the corners of the building, under the windows, and anywhere that weather effects would accumulate, the paint is peeling a little discolored. There's a little bit of mildew that's kind of eating into the overall niceness of the house. Besides that, though, very nice house. Um, Chakota says, Alright, follow me inside. And he opens the door, leads you into this sitting room, which has um, a desk and a chair pushed under the desk, like a writing desk, heavy writing desk, and then a few more cushioned seats, like a couple chairs and then a three-person sofa sort of thing. He says, If you'll please have a seat, I'll be right back. Uh... He says, and bows, that's a completely excessive bow, and (laughs) exits the room. Um, You're not left there for very long. Vin leans forward and in a hushed tone looks at the group and says, I'm surprised how easy it was for us to get in here. I was expecting to at least have to lie or or bend the truth or, or pretend, I don't know, pretend Landon sent us. This, these people here. must get robbed all the time. <laughs> yeah, or, or, you know, at least give up our weapons. Right, like, just robbed all the time, right? It well, was remarkably easy. Yeah. It's a bit strange that it seems that Jagoda thinks that the Margrix is immediately available for us and not busy with other things. Right, it's all a bit sideways. So you finish this conversation and Shakota uh, enters the room again and behind him is probably not a man named Victor Arendale because the person behind him is female and elven with dark uh, mocha skin tone to her um, and she's wearing deep blue and purple robes with a head covering that is also equally flowy and covers the majority of her. She says, Hello, I am called Hyatt. I am advisor to Margrex Arendale. How may I help you? And she smiles at you guys, like a very genuine smile. Um, like not the polite, not like a, like a genuine greeting type of smile. We were hoping to meet with the Margrex directly, but I'm not surprised we couldn't do so on such short notice. When would he be available? He is unfortunately unavailable for the next few days myself or his daughter would be able to uh, do business on his behalf Uh, unfortunately we have a package for him that we were asked to deliver as directly as possible she kind of her eyebrows quirk and she says What sort of package? 
I really could kind. <laughs> we received it under somewhat delicate circumstances. We're not certain as to the full context of the situation, but felt that it might be something the Margrex might prefer to keep private. She nods. In- oh, go ahead. Indeed, as his advisor, I'm appreciate the need to keep, you know, something so sensitive to his eyes only. We think. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we think. This is like a group bluff. <laughs> roll, go ahead and roll deception. Are we not I really mean, I'm, do I mean, do I need deception? Really. I am not trying to be even remotely deceptive. deceptive. It's or maybe it's persuasive. Persuasion? Roll persuasion. Yeah, roll persuasion. Okay, that I can. Ooh. 23. So, she looks over the four of you and sighs a little bit and says, I I understand that your business is for Arendelle's eyes only, or you would appreciate if it is kept like that. But when I say that he is unavailable for the next few days... I mean that he is not in a state of mind to conduct business or keep his own secrets to himself. So if you are comfortable, I will, of course, relay any and all information from our meeting to the Margrex. But if it is an urgent matter and something that needs to be addressed in a timely manner, unfortunately, I must ask that you go through me. Is he okay? I am a practiced apothecary. I can take a look at him if he's under some sort of mental distress. She says, I thank you for your kindness. We do, in fact, have a physician that attends to him. And so, should we ever need services of another, I will come and ask you. I think I'd like to cast Detect Thoughts. Okay. I just want, okay, so I just want the surface thoughts. Um, The surface level. Yeah, surface level. Detect that. I just kind of reach up and, Jarrell reaches up and adjusts their monocle and it flashes a little in the light. There are two surface-level thoughts that uh, you get a sense of from Hyatt. The first is when she's talking about Victor Arendelle and his state of mind. She is genuinely worried about him. And, and the second thing that is largely on her mind is she's very curious about what you guys are saying and kind of confused that you're not okay with going through her for whatever business it is. Okay, well, I'm going to look at side-eye the others and sort of raise my eyebrows with a little shrug. Like, should we go for it? Kind of, should we just give it a box? Oh. We don't know what it is. We don't know anything about the marks. That's true. No, this is... Half-assed. We must give it to the Margaret. When did you say? Three days? She says, maybe three, maybe five, maybe tomorrow. It's hard to say. 
What if you don't mind my asking has befallen the Margrex? Is this common? Roll persuasion. Oof. Six. She says, I, I am sorry, but I am not at liberty to discuss too much of the Margrex's personal life, you must understand. At that, I'll, I'll get up and I'll say, well, although it's unfortunate that we came out here for uh, nothing today, we can stop by in a few days and hopefully he'll be in better shape to uh, meet with us. She kind of nods and says, is there anything that I can tell him about your business with us? Uh, like the nature of it that I could pass along to him? As far as we're concerned, it is a simple delivery. Just as our elderly friend said, um, we were asked to deliver something directly to him, so the option to deliver it to one step removed is not something that we can do at the moment. Uh, but if you have a piece of paper, I would be happy to write down where we're staying so that if he finds that he has some extra time, he can call for us. You must understand, I, we are not trying to be difficult. We are uncertain of the situation in the area and don't really know any of the characters involved. We were asked to deliver a package by a Liara, and we don't know how sensitive it may or may not be. Roll insight real quick. Yes. 20. Not a natural. So you see Hyatt's eyebrows quirk and her eyes go tight for just a second and for just half a second. And she says, Liara, are you sure that is the name? Mm-hmm. She's been missing for about a month now. Is she a friend of yours? She... She is not a friend of mine, but she is a one of a few individuals from the city that have disappeared under unusual circumstances as of late. What does that mean? It means that she, and this is what I know as the one who, this is what I have been told from the people who are in charge of this sort of thing is that she disappeared about a month ago our head of investigation lieutenant rowan looked into it and determined that she decided to flee the city probably for a better life is what he says along with a few other individuals that have gone missing. I cannot speak to her companions, but I am so very sorry, Hyatt. Liara is no longer with us. We found her remains in the... What was that? Military base? In the military base outside of Mithrin. The request oh. was a very posthumous nature. Liara's spirit spoke to you? Yes. It was actually quite interesting. We had 
heard rumors that the place was haunted, but, you know, we weren't really sure what to think of it. And so we thought we would investigate, and then we came upon the body, and it was all quite, quite an event, I will tell you. The face you have right now is is the same face I had when they told me about ghosts. <laughs> Believe me, it, it did happen. So, when you start mentioning spirits, um, Hayat doesn't seem surprised that you talked to spirits. She seems surprised that it was Liara's spirit that you guys interacted with. Um, and she says, uh, Jorel, roll me a history check real quick 16 okay so from the way that she is dressed and the way uh from the way she's dressed and her uh features and the lack of surprise when it came to spirits she is an all nos Elf, which are the desert elves that traditionally have been very in tune with what they call the spirit world and that tradition continues to this day um, and as you kind of look a little bit closer at her ornaments and um, accoutrements you see that her robes are lined with a very particular pattern and a, her robes are belted with a belt with a particular insignia on it of the particular insignia on it that denotes that she is a what's known as a spirit shaman um, and they are it's a in the, it's a class and a profession. Um, and when a spirit shaman is not with their, their tribe back in the desert, it's because they are like, are a very, very respected advisor or administrator or spiritual leader. Um, and so now that you've kind of like put two and two together, like she is important enough that that is why uh, she says Arendale lets her or has her do business on his behalf. All right. I'm just going to let everyone know Jarrell is inherently going to trust a person like this. <laughs> <laughs> Arden, like, Arden doesn't really care. Um,. Arden may not even know. So Jarrell yeah. is probably the only one that like yeah, knows the implications of this. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, like in terms of whether Arden, whether Jarrell decides to trust this person or not, like yeah. Arden doesn't really care. <laughs> like he he appreciates that you know usually in these circumstances people wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't blurt out that they had gotten a mission from a ghost, so he's mm -hmm. actually a little bit um, impressed by <laughs> Jarrell's uh, <laughs> willingness to look like a crazy person in these circumstances. 
My dear, if you've ever known any academics, you must know they're used to looking like crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she says, Oh, well, if Liara is passed on, that changes a great number of things. I suppose it does. Oh, and while we're at it, we've been in town for all of a few hours now. <laughs> he says, um, you take care of business very quickly then, I see. Well, you know, we all we have our to. reasons to be here. We thought we would get this out of the way. It seems perhaps not so simple, though. But you must be a very trusted advisor to the Margrets. I pull out the box. She nods humbly. You pull out the box. She holds out a hand and says, May I examine it? I hand it over. She holds it in her hands, turns it over very delicately with these graceful motions, and she says, I have not seen such a box like this among our family's possessions, but... That does not mean that it is not important, nor that what is inside of it is not important. She turns it over and holds it back out to you and points out on the bottom. There's a very, very, there's like a, a maker's stamp on it, like hidden up in a corner underneath one of the like tiny little peg legs that it's on. And she says, but this here, this is definitely the mark of one of our metalsmiths in the city. Um, I don't know off which one particular, but I can ask if it would be all right for me to show this box to Victor's daughter. Well, Jarrell? Jarrell's a little startled by everyone looking at them. Like, well, it's not my box. It's the So, Hyatt looks over to Chakota, who has been standing in a corner, like, with professional disinterest, not listening and not, like, directly looking at anything yeah, that's right. going on. Oh, yeah, right. Chakota. <laughs> um, actually, no, he was, like, out the door. So Hyatt hands the box back to Jarell, opens the door, says a couple words to um, Chakota, who's on the other side. Uh, I kind of whispered to him, I didn't think she'd get back. So I'm <laughs> <with> it now. <laughs> and you hear Chakota's feet run off. She stands holding her hands in, in front of her patiently until... Dakota gets back. A couple of minutes later, a, a young woman with about 15 or 16 human with her hair uh, pulled back, long hair pulled back, flipped at the back of her head. She's got dark brown eyes and is wearing a loose tunic and breeches, but has a surcoat over it that's, that's belted at the waist, kind of holding in the baggy clothing. Um, there's an ink stain on the right sleeve of this tunic. And she walks in 
like standing really tall, shoulders squared, hands like hands clasped, you know, starkly behind her back. And then she looks at each of the four of you and kind of internally relaxes her posture a little bit and stands like a normal human again. Oh, it's just weirdos. I don't need to be horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of looks at Hyatt standing very properly and then Jarell holding the box kind of awkwardly with everyone else standing or staring at them and says, What's up? <laughs> did, did, did you want me to look at the box? I proffer the box. Alright, she looks Wait, at did, the box. Did, did she already uh, been debriefed on what this is and what the context is? Uh, you don't know. She, she's kind of looking around a little confused, but you get the sense that, you know, she and Hyatt have like a um, like an understanding of when she's gotten um, oh, she says, oh, I'm so sorry. My name is Jonna Arendale. I am the, the daughter of our Margrix. That is who I am. Yes. Yes. Um, is she telling the truth? What? A little insight on this. Yes. Fourteen. She's telling the truth as far as you can tell. Like, she seems like the type... She seems like the type of person that is not good at lying. You mentioned she had ink on her hand. Does she seem like a bookish type? I you can't really tell, but she does have like a an ink stain that looks like it was recently tried to clean up. <laughs> so she could just be clumsy, clumsy and bad at lying. But you could tell she's telling the truth. Like Jarell's definitely got ink stains all over their hands. Like you think that's like, just normal when you're working with ink. <laughs> um. We we have a box here. We were going to give it. Perhaps you should take a look. I I proffer the box to the girl. She holds the she takes the box from you, and then you see that part of her hand is also covered in ink, and she's being very careful to not like get the ink on the box. And she says, "Oh, yeah, you're 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 right, Hyatt. This is definitely uh." This is definitely Liara's box. I... Oh, man. Um, this was made by... She turns it over. Hyatt points out the, the maker's mark, and she says, Yeah, this was definitely made by one of uh, Rothko's apprentices. Um, but I don't... I don't think he's still working at the blacksmith anymore. Um... But I do... She, like, squints and, like, holds the box and was like, uh... Jim... Jimmy... Jimbo... Jim... Jimmel! Jimmel is the guy that made this box. Jimmel Isaacs. Um... But I don't know where he is now. He's still in the city somewhere. So it sounds like we need to look for him get the code to open 
box to see what's inside to find the message. Terrell looks over at you like really startled. Well, not our <laughs> mail. Wouldn't the Margaret Snow code to it? If it was meant for him? Jonna looks at Hyatt, Hyatt looks back at Jonna, and they both kind of shake their head at the same time. Jonna says, this was, is, this is, she says is, not was, um, this is a box that belonged to Liara. Why do you have it? We found it, sort of. Liara's spirit led us to it. What? Okay. As I said, we found it, sort of. Um, you see, like, several clicks of realization go on behind Jonna's eyes, and then she, like, bites back all of it and says, Oh, I see. Well. I'm so terribly sorry. She looks over at Hyatt. Hyatt looks back at her. And you see both of their mouths move, but nothing comes out. And then Jonna hands the box carefully back to you, Jarell. No, I don't take it. I just kind of look at her like, what are you doing? <laughs> she says, I don't know what is in this box. Without more information we feel like whatever is in this box does definitely need to be delivered to my father now that we've laid out all of our cards on the table will you now permit us to see your father she says we can't I'm so sorry but we can make it worth your while to keep following the trail of this box. And as soon as you've got whatever is inside it, then we will be able to deliver it straight to my dad. With all due respect, lady, we do have our own business in town. You're not looking for work. Well, I, I, I wouldn't be so hasty. <laughs> I'm just... Jarell's just kind of going, what is happening right now? Yeah, really. Clarissa's Am I a Arden. hired hand? I'm a scholar. Claris <laughs> and Arden are like, wait, we can earn some money? I will uh, shuffle over and grab the box that she is still trying to hand to a dumbfounded Jarell. <laughs> Right, what Jarell is trying to hint at is that we're busy here, so it's, like, really worth it. <laughs> I kind of look at them like, that is not at all what I meant, but I don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's... Arden nods in approval at what Ben just said. <laughs> you know more about Leara than us. Is there any of her belongings, anything that could help us solve this puzzle? still here. Um, Jonna shakes her head. She says, Liara was a acolyte at the temple. All of her possessions were 
are not here. They are... You would have to ask her friends at the temple to uh, find out more about her um, and where her possessions are now. Which temple are we talking about here? Um, Hyatt pipes up and says, the, You are new to the city. There is only one temple mm-hmm. in this city nowadays. Other places of worship have been repurposed into... Uh, uh, have been repurposed. The The main temple is now used for multiple services and multiple religions. It is to the east of Market Square, kind of in the... at the junction of the university and the richer district and Market Square. Should there be any specific person that we ask for there? Any known contact of Leara? Or just go in there and say, hey, who knows this dead girl? (laughs) Jonna, like, squints at you for half a second and says, I... I know she had a few friends at the temple, but I was never mutual friends with those, with uh, her friends. I just knew of her because she was known as such a good acolyte and a good person. You also said there have been other mysterious disappearances similar to hers? Uh, Hyatt speaks again says... Yes, but not exactly the same. What I mean by this complicates things is Liara is dead. The another person that had gone missing recently came back. Um, and then another two have not turned up dead body or come back to the city otherwise. And who did you say the lead investigator was? That, his name is Rowan, Lieutenant Rowan. He's a tall, short hair, blonde elf. Oh. (laughs) Maybe this is my stomach talking. I probably should have joined Auden on that bite to eat, but I am not putting two and two together here. Why? What is the affiliation with Leara and this government building again? I don't understand how you you people are associated with with this. I'm not seeing the connection here. Uh, Both John and I knew Leara visits to the temple in the city. And since we had such a personal connection to, or we had a more personal connection to her than the other disappearances, we made sure that we were in the know. So it sounds like you're asking, learn more about what happened to your friend and find out what she wanted to tell Victor. Jonna speaks up. Correct. And we can make it worth your while. We can hang on to the box while you investigate, or just take the box and 
do our own thing, but I do not see that one of us would be more effective over the other. Uh, if it's all the same, I think I would prefer to hold on to the box for one of my compatriots. Who knows, I might get lucky and just guess the combination. <laughs> Jonna nods, and it's a very um, gracious nod. And she says, I've, I've learned a lot about the spirits from Hyatt. And if whatever is going on here is important enough that... A, that Liara asked this of you and of us from the grave. It is a matter that would put the Arendelle family in debt to you. Cyrus just kind of shrugged at that. Charles is looking very conflicted right now. Like, they feel bad saying no, but they really don't want to do this. They don't want to get bogged down in, a, in another quest. And so they're kind of like, uh, <laughs> She says, you don't have to decide right now. Um, it, you know, I don't, I don't know if anything is time sensitive, but it doesn't sound like it is so you can you can hang on to it let us know later or come back in a couple days and say nope nope we're not doing that I I know I'll be putting some time into this I I must admit I'm curious and I believe there there is a lot that can profit or yeah again um, there is much profit. I, I believe that there is a lot of, I believe that there is a lot of potential for profit if a relationship blooms between the group of us. For me, it's simple. Failure is not an option. I will succeed on this quest. Pardon, Jarrell. I have nothing in particular to add. Okay. I. Uh... Perhaps could look into it some, if I have time. She says, thank you very much. Um, just let the guard at the gate, whenever you come by, let the guard at the gate know that you're working with us and it should not be a problem. Very well. Thank you, lady, so very much for your, for your time and your attention. She says, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you're shown out of the estate by Chakota, who looks like he like really wants to ask like 10,000 questions, <laughs> oh, but it is like... <laughs> bouncing and he's walking and it's like, so, so what are you doing in the city? Like, what are you guys doing? Ha 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 ha. Uh-huh. But he's not, like, <laughs> asking anything directly or, like, what you were doing there. But you can tell he really wants to. Has he, has, is he actually asking us questions at all, or? I, he's just asking, like, general, like, you know, 
where are you guys like where did you guys trying to stay or starts asking him questions like kind of oh yes we found an inn with with Abram and Nikki. Oh, how are you liking the town so far? Like that kind of thing. Like, yeah. just totally puts says, him off by answering with questions. He says, well, you know, they put us to work, like, real quick at the guard, which, you know, we expected, but it was just like, you know, chop, 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 chop. You barely get to put your belongings down and you're off to whatever duty you're doing. But, yes. you know, I see that. I can't that must very difficult, but also very, you know, energizing. I mean, you know, it, you know, downtime is sometimes bad. I mean, that's what Sergeant Landon says, but, you know, what does he know? <laughs> well, if you have any off time, do let us know if you ever want to go ghost hunting. He, like, nods excitedly, like, you just made a new friend for real. He's like, yeah, I definitely will. <laughs> and he goes back to his post, you guys head back out onto the street and that's where we'll end for today thank you for listening to this episode of little realms if you like the show and want to stay up to date make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening you can also find us on social media on twitter pod realms and on tumblr at littlerealmspod.tumblr.com we also have a website www.littlerealms.com may your journey be successful and we'll see you next time the wonderful music you hear on Little Realms is possible due to royalty-free music and content creators such as TabletopAudio.com, Freesounds.org, and Kevin McLeod, creator of Incomputech.com. Royalty-free music licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution License 3.0.